We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Samuel, and the theme of 1 Samuel is found in 1 Samuel 13, 14, where God says he rejects Saul as king and has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. That man, of course, is David, and through the entire book of 1 Samuel, we're learning how we can become people, by God's grace, by his Spirit, who seek after God's heart through many different ways revealed in the text. So this morning, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And the theme and the focus before us in this text is seeking after God's heart through mercy. If there's one aim that I've been praying for all of us today, it's that we would leave after this message with an overwhelming sense of the mercy of God. It's revealed in the text, and we can see glimpses of God's mercy through many areas of life. I think one of the ways I see God's mercy reflected is in uh, various stories and novels of literature. Perhaps my favorite story of mercy in all of literature is Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. For those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, you've not been coming here very long because I always talk about it. But the main character is a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean apparently has a heart of mercy and his widowed sister has seven children and they're starving And Jean Valjean is so frustrated by their plight that in desperation he breaks into a bakery and steals one loaf of bread to bring to his widowed sister and the seven children. He's caught. After all, he did do wrong. He broke in and stole bread. But he runs to a very harsh warden. His name is Jovert. And for Jovert... Life is all about following the rules. And while in prison, Jovert is constantly hounding Jean Valjean. And for one loaf of bread, Valjean ends up working hard labor for 19 years. He finally is paroled. He's looking for work and he can't find a job. It gets to the point where he's just looking for food. And no one will give him food. No one trusts him because he's an ex-con. He's looking for a, a place to just sleep. And no one opens their door to him. He lays down on a bench and a woman taps him and says, Have you tried there? And she points to the bishop's house. He goes to the bishop and the bishop invites him in. In mercy, he serves Jean Valjean a nice hot meal on silver plateware, out of silver mugs, with silver utensils. Gives them a nice, soft, warm place to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up and he starts stealing all of the silver. The bishop comes out and Jean Valjean slaps him and knocks him out and he flees. The next day, the bishop's working in the garden And the police come with Jean Valjean handcuffed. And uh, the bishop says, you found him. And the police say, yes, but this gentleman says you gave him the silver. And the bishop says, of course I gave him the silver. But Jean, you forgot to take the silver candlesticks. They're worth a lot of money, you know. 
and the police leave, and when the bishop and Jean Valjean are alone, the bishop says, by this mercy, I have ransomed your soul from evil and bought your soul for good, and you will live a new life. Well, that showing of mercy, reflecting God's grace, does in fact change Jean Valjean, and he lives a life seeking God's heart in mercy. But there are some people who are very troubled by that portion of Les Mis. Did the priest do wrong? Did he lie to the police? That's an important question. That leads us to our text. David is desperate, and he goes to a priest looking for food. And the priest gives him bread that God's Word clearly says only the priests are supposed to eat. Same question I asked of the bishop. Did David do wrong? Did the priest do wrong? Or was the priest, was the bishop, and was David actually obeying the law by doing all that they did? The Pharisees in Jesus' day were like Jovere, consumed with rule-keeping. They thought God's heart was focused intensely on giving rules and making sure people follow rules. Jesus pushed back and said, hey, do you really know what God's heart is like? Do you really know what the aim of the law is? Do you understand what God's Word is calling us to? At the core of the passage we're about to read is what kind of heart does God have? What does God truly delight in? What do you think God's heart's like? I don't want your Sunday school answer. I want your functional theology here, not your adopted theology. What do you really experience when you're suffering? Do you think God's upset with you? Do you think he's getting back at you for not following the rules? Our response when bad things happen often reveal what we truly believe about God. In this text, we're going to be challenged to consider that at the very core of God's heart is mercy. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, 
and no one with you. And David said to Himelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand. But there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And listen, He wants us to know at the core of His being is a heart of mercy. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You'd open our eyes and soften our hearts. Help us to see, taste, smell, experience Your heart of mercy afresh. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, this passage is a clear example of more happening than meets the eye. The recording of this event carries a lot more weight than the passage I just read. Why do I say that? Because as the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus, Jesus refers to this very passage as evidence that God delights in mercy and not mere rule following. There are three places in the Gospels, three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus refers to this text. Matthew 12 Mark 2, Luke 6. I'm going to read the passage from Matthew 12. Just go ahead and and stay seated where you are. Uh, I know you have reverence in your hearts for God's Word, but listen to this passage. Matthew 12, 1 to 7. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees thought that that was reaping and harvesting. To pick uh, heads of grain and to rub the kernels, that was harvesting the grain. So they were working on the Sabbath. So as good rule keepers, they said that they were lawbreakers. So Jesus, how's he going to respond? Verse 3, he said to them, have you not read what David did 
for Samuel 21, when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? In other words, pastors, priests, they work on the Sabbath. God doesn't hold them guilty. Then he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is quoted from Hosea 6, verse 6. You would have not have condemned the guiltless. So there's your answer. The law truly said that only the priest could eat the showbread. Now, the showbread was bread that was put outside the Holy of Holies, and as people came to worship God, they saw the bread. There were 12 loaves, one loaf for each of the tribes of Israel, and it's a reminder that God, in His mercy, will always provide for His people. But every week, those 12 loaves were changed, and hot bread replaced it on the Sabbath day. And the only people who'd want one-week-old bread... Uh, the only people who could eat it were the priests. That was God, that's, that's not a tradition of the Pharisees. That's in God's law, in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. And yet, Jesus says that David and the priest were guiltless. That doesn't seem right. That's, that's like the bishop telling the police, I did give Jean Valjean the silver. What's the point? The point is that God wants us to know that at the core of his heart, he has a heart of mercy. Three ways we seek after God's heart through mercy. We find these points in the text. First of all, seek after God's merciful heart in failure. There's no question that David failed in this text, but not, according to Jesus, in taking the bread that the law says only the priests should eat. No, he failed much more miserably in this text. Verse 1, David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And you need to remember his state of mind. He's alone, right? Jonathan, his best friend, uh, they've been separated because Saul is Jonathan's father. And Saul now knows about David and Jonathan's friendship, so they've had to part and separate. Samuel is out of the picture. David is isolated and on the run. He's desperate. He's afraid. He's anxious. And he comes to Ahimelech. Now, David doesn't know if he can trust Ahimelech. Why? Because we find out elsewhere in 1 Samuel that Ahimelech is the brother of Saul's personal royal chaplain. David doesn't know what Ahimelech is going to say. David doesn't know where Ahimelech's loyalties lie. So what does he do? He lies. There's, there's no way around this. This isn't a good uh, time for David. Look what he says in verse 2. The king has charged me with a matter. The king has sent me on an expedition, and he's told me not to tell anybody. Now, we know that's not true. King Saul is out to kill David. 
He didn't send David on some secret mission. David blew it. Now, we don't know what he should have done necessarily. We have to put ourselves in his shoes. But he could have simply told Ahimelech the truth. Look, I'm on the run. Saul uh, is out to kill me, and I'm supposed to be the next king. The Lord has told me and tried to explain his situation to Ahimelech. And it would have been really vital for Ahimelech. You know why? Look at verse 7. When it talks about Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Well, if you go to 1 Samuel 22, we find out what happens. If, if I was doing a dramatic reading of, of verses 1 through 7, when I got to verse 7 and mentioned Doeg, that's when like the orchestra goes, bah, 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 because it's foreshadowing. That's the only reason verse 7 is there. And in chapter 22, Doeg is a traitor. Doeg runs from Ahimelech and David to Saul, says to Saul, the man you want is at the temple at Nob. And they go there, but David and his men have already gone. And you know what happens? Ahimelech, all the priests, all their wives, all their children, and all their animals are put to death at Saul's command by Doeg. This is not David's finest hour. He finds out in chapter 22 what has happened, and he's filled with repentance over his failure. You see, Scripture is never shy about talking about the failures of God's people. Abraham lied, told people that Sarah, his wife, was his sister so that they wouldn't kill him and steal his wife. Noah got drunk. Joseph, as a teen, had issues with pride. Moses failed through anger and actually killed somebody. Peter failed through denial. Thomas failed through doubting the resurrection. And oh, by the way, as we know, this isn't David's last miserable failure. Later as king, he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and to try to cover up his sin, he has her husband killed, so people might think that the baby was his baby. But here's what's interesting. In Matthew 12, when Jesus refers to 1 Samuel 21, he doesn't mention anything of David's deceit. He doesn't even refer to David breaking the ninth commandment of not bearing false witness. Now, is that because God doesn't care about sin? Of course not. God hates sin, but he loves and delights to show mercy. In Matthew 12, Jesus subtly refers to the entire passage by saying, Have you not read what David did with respect to the showbread, the bread of the presence? And of course, they did know that. They're Pharisees. They know the Old Testament. But whenever Jesus refers to a passage, he's rarely, if ever, referring to just a couple verses. He's referring to the whole context. And Jesus is trying to tell these rule keepers 
And David's their hero. He's trying to point out to the Pharisees, hey, even your hero didn't keep God's rules. You see, the Pharisees thought that David was the hero of the Old Testament because he was so good. Even David in the Psalms talks about being blameless. Now, what do you think blameless means? Do you think blameless means never failing? Do you think blameless means always getting it right? Do you think blameless means never getting it wrong? No. Blameless means that you're blameless with respect to following God's law, meaning you do try to keep the commands, but recognizing the law points to God's mercy so that when we do fail, we run to God for mercy. We repent of our sin. We confess it. We acknowledge it. We trust in the mercy of God to forgive us and also his power to change us. And then we move out in fresh obedience. In other words, to be blameless, Oak Mountain, is to waltz. The three-step with Jesus. Repent, believe, fight. The three steps. Repent of your sin, believe in God's mercy, trust his power to work through mercy to change you, and then step out in new obedience. That's what blamelessness means. It doesn't mean perfection. It means a life of repentance and faith. And the Pharisees were so focused on the rules, they had no concept of God's heart delighting in mercy. See, David was a hero. David was a man after God's own heart. But not because he was trusting in his own righteousness. David is a hero because he understood the gospel. David is a hero because he understood he was a failure personally. David was a hero because he understood at the core of God's heart is mercy. David is a hero because David understood that God doesn't treat us according to our performance, but according to our position. In Matthew 12, Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. In other words, something greater than the law and all the rules and ceremonies and rituals that you want to keep, even the showbread, something greater than the showbread is here. As a matter of fact, the real showbread is here. I'm the bread of life. I'm what the showbread ultimately pointed to. Jesus is the new and better showbread that reveals to us the mercy of God. And the Pharisees thought the key to walking with God was being successful in a rigorous application of the will to the law of God. And that God was primarily interested in rule keepers and rule followers. Jesus says, no, God is primarily interested that you experience mercy. And the law, Mr. Pharisee, that you are so closely trying to follow, the law was actually given in part to expose you as a failure. The law was actually given, not as a ladder through which we climb up into God's favor, but to expose us as desperate failures whose only recourse is the mercy of God. David understood that. 
So listen, God doesn't look the other way when it comes to sin. God looks at Jesus. God hates sin. God must punish sin. So God sent Christ to punish him so that we could experience mercy. God sent Christ to obey the entire law so that we who don't obey the law perfectly might experience God's mercy. See, Pharisees saw God's heart as demanding. Jesus teaches that God's heart is merciful. So when you see God, what kind of face do you see? Now listen, I know God doesn't have a face. But when you pray to the Father, what kind of face does he have? Is he angry? Is he stern? Is he critical? Is he judgmental? Is he frowning? That's what the Pharisees saw. Jesus saw a smiling face. Jesus saw an inviting face. Jesus saw a kind face. Not only that, Jesus reflected the Father perfectly in that. You know, so many believers are checked out spiritually or are shut down in their walk with God because they're living with such a sense of shame and guilt and self-condemnation. Jesus says, when you fail, run to the Father and experience his merciful heart in your failure. What failures are you wrestling with right now that are keeping you from God? It's not keeping God from you. It's keeping you from God. Will you run to God this morning with those failures? And will you seek after his merciful heart in your failure? Seek after God's merciful heart in your failure. Secondly, seek after God's merciful heart in your need. So the first point focused on what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't when he referred to 1 Samuel 21, say, hey, Pharisees, you know that passage. You know David lied. Now he focuses on what David actually did. And what he actually did, in his desperate need, he ate bread as a non-priest that only the priests were to eat. And his men, who were not priests, ate bread that only priests were meant to eat. So David is hungry, his men are hungry, he's experiencing great need. Well, Matthew 12 is similar. The disciples are hungry, they're experiencing great need. So Jesus sees an opportunity to say, you're, my disciples are hungry and they're, in your mind, breaking the law. David was hungry and he actually did break the law. The priest told David that there was no common bread, only holy bread. And yet, in the passage in Matthew 12, Jesus clearly says the Pharisees, if they understood God's mercy, would not be condemning the guiltless. 
How can that be? How can Exodus 35 and Leviticus 24 say clearly that the bread could only be eaten by priests? And how could David and his men eat it contrary to the law and be guiltless? Well, because the Pharisees didn't understand the point of the law. The point of the law is to show us our need for mercy. The point of the law is also to point us to the God who has a merciful heart. In other words, the heart of the law is to lead us to mercy. But the Pharisees were only interested in the letter of the law, not the spirit behind the letter. The spirit behind the entire law is mercy. Jesus summarized the entire law, didn't he? You know the passage, Matthew 22. Jesus summarizes the entire law, how? With two commandments. What are they? Love God, love your neighbor. This is the entire summary of the law. In other words, everything you can find in the Old Testament is summarized by two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So David didn't keep the letter of the law, but he was completely keeping the spirit of the law. The bishop didn't keep the letter of the law, but he was completely keeping the spirit of God's law, and that is to show mercy to those who are in need. If you had a chance to hide Jews in Nazi Germany in the 40s, and the SS came and asked, are you hiding Jews? What are your options? Well, some of us would say, you just have to lie and confess it later. It's a sin. Others would say, you tell the truth and trust those Jews and their future to God. I would say, you tell the Nazis there's no Jews there and you have an absolutely clear conscience because you are keeping the spirit of God's heart and you're keeping the spirit of God's law. And you're going to be hard-pressed to come up with any other interpretation of what Jesus says in Matthew 12, that David was guiltless even though he took what the law prohibited from doing. Listen, this is why the Pharisees were upset with Jesus. Jesus was breaking the Sabbath in their eyes. Jesus performing works of healing on the Sabbath. That's a work. But Jesus reveals the heart of God to people in need, and he says the Sabbath was made for the benefit of mankind. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Man wasn't made in order to keep all these rules. The, the Pharisees had 39 rules that they made up outside of the law since God's word, Exodus 20, fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath, honor it. Well, the Pharisees, God says do no work, so the Pharisees said we got to know what work is. They came up with 39 
prohibitions so that every Jew would know what they're not allowed to do, what constitutes work on the Sabbath. Because they thought that's what God was into. Jesus said, no, what God's into is giving you a day where you can be refreshed. What God's into is giving you a day where you don't work so you can rest. What God is into is giving you a benefit of experiencing recreation, recreation on the Sabbath. So Jesus, by healing, was actually fulfilling the Sabbath, even though according to the letter of the law, he was working. Legalists focus on rule keeping. God, in his mercy, seeks to meet needs of his people. God doesn't meet our needs because we deserve it. God meets our needs because he's merciful. And then thirdly and finally, seek after God's merciful heart in relationship. It's not enough for us to experience mercy in failure. It's not enough for us to experience mercy in our need. God wants us to express what we experience. Let me ask you this morning. Would people say that you're a merciful person? Or would people say that you're a critical person? A critiquing person? A judgmental person? Would people say you tend to be a little harsh? Or would people say that they experience you as merciful? You see, the priest Ahimelech was merciful to David. He didn't go round and round, well, David, you know, we're really not allowed to do this. No, the priest knew that the heart of the law was love. And Jesus reveals that something greater than the temple in all of its rituals is here. It's like a Himalek saw forward to all the temple and all its ceremonies pointed to. And that was Jesus as the fulfillment of all the sacrifices and all the ceremonies. And Jesus fulfilling the law. And so the priest showed David mercy. He was guiltless. And I believe the, pit, the bishop in Les Mis is guiltless for saying that he gave Jean Valjean the silver. Because at the deepest root of his heart, that was his attitude all along. He would have given Jean Valjean the silver if Jean Valjean would have asked. He was guiltless. You know, sometimes we modern Christians can be just like the Pharisees. The church can be so wrapped up in opposing wrong that we fail the law by not being merciful. We can do that in our marriages. We can do that in our friendships. We can do that with other believers. We can do that to the world. Would non-Christians who know you define you as a merciful person? Jesus said in Luke 6, be merciful 
as your Father in heaven is merciful. If people were to write out a definition of God's heart based on your life, would mercy be at the top of God's attributes? Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, Jesus even says that perhaps the most telltale sign that you've experienced the mercy of God in salvation is that you show mercy. In Matthew 25, Jesus reveals who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. It makes us want to sort of listen up, doesn't it? And here who's, here's who Jesus says goes to heaven. You saw me hungry and you gave me food. You saw me thirsty and you gave me drink. You saw me naked and you gave me clothes. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was sick and you visited to me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now what's Jesus saying? Is he saying we're saved by works? Is he saying we're saved by our good deeds? Of course not. What Jesus is talking about is not earning salvation. What he's talking about is the fruit of salvation. And Jesus says if someone has been saved by the merciful God, they will exude mercy. Jesus is saying the evidence of being a Christian. Not the way you become a Christian, but the evidence of being a Christian is a life of mercy. Do you show mercy to others? James, look, if anybody loved the law, it was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Everybody wants to pit James against Paul. Paul was the grace guy. James was the law guy. Well, in fact, there's actually no tension at all. Paul is talking about the grace of God and how it changes us. And James says, if you've really experienced the grace of God and are changed, you will want to obey. But even James says this in James 2.8, fulfill the royal law. See, fulfill the law. What is it? Love your neighbor. That's the royal law. See, James understood the whole point of the law was to reveal God's heart of love and to call us to express love toward others. Then look what James says. James says in James 2.13 what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Judgment is without mercy against those who have shown no mercy. The Old Testament says much the same thing in Micah. We all know Micah 6, 8, right? 6, 6 through 8. What does God require of you? He has shown you, O man, but to do justice and to love mercy. That word mercy, by the way, in Micah 6 is the same word we studied last week between David and Jonathan, loving kindness. So, so complex of a word that one word or two words can't cut it. 
kindness, loyal faithfulness, gracious, favor, wanting to flourish the other person. That's what Micah says. Here's what God requires of you. It's not just the letter of the law. What God requires of you is to love loving kindness and to show it to others. See, Jovert in Les Mis was just like the Pharisees, convinced that God was primarily concerned with being a rule giver and that people are supposed to be primarily concerned with being rule keepers. Jesus revealed, the bishop revealed, and Jean Valjean lived out that God is primarily concerned with giving Scripture to us as a love letter, a pathway to experience and expressing love. Jovert and Pharisees under the law had no context for mercy. The law is the law. You do good, you get blessed. You do bad, you get cursed. And so that's why Jean Valjean could, or Jovert couldn't show mercy. He wouldn't show mercy to Jean Valjean. He wouldn't show mercy to the character named Fantine, who was a prostitute. In one of the stories, she was wronged. And because she was a prostitute, Jovert's view was, you don't deserve mercy. I'm not going to show you mercy. The law says you're wrong. Jean Valjean, who understood mercy and experienced mercy, showed mercy to Fantine. Jovert wouldn't show mercy even to himself. By the way, if people think you're harsh or if you realize you're harsh, it's probably because you believe God is harsh. Every one of us will become like that which we worship. And if you think the God you're worshiping is harsh, then you'll be harsh. So if you're harsh, it's probably because deep down you really believe God's harsh. Jovert clearly believed like a Pharisee. Jean Valjean believed like the bishop. And he even showed mercy to Jovert. Jovert was, was, was involved in pretending to be one of the revolutionaries. And Jean Valjean was asked to go shoot him as a traitor of the revolutionaries. Jean Valjean let him go. And Jovert, his head exploded. Like, what do I do? The law demands that I go after this guy, hunt this guy, and arrest this guy and put him back in prison. But I've experienced this guy. He's good and kind and loving and merciful. Jovert was stuck. If I hunt this man, it doesn't seem just or lawful. If I don't hunt this man, it's not just or lawful. And not having any context for mercy, he threw himself in the river and drowned. Mercy literally killed Jovert. And mercy killed Christ too. God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. God isn't soft toward sin. 
Mercy doesn't mean we fall into cheap grace. Jesus died that God might show us mercy. The exacting truth and holiness of God that demands punishment was born by Christ. He bore it so we could receive mercy. Jesus obeyed the law where we fail so that we could receive mercy. So who are you like this morning? The bishop or Jovert? Who are you following this morning? Jesus or the Pharisees? What do you think God's face is? Frowning? Harsh? Or smiling? And kind? And merciful? Jesus has clearly revealed the Father's face. May we run to him in our failure, in our need, and in all of our relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your heart is merciful. Even right now, God, as we're praying, God, I pray that every one of us sees a smiling face if we know Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray for those who don't know Jesus because your face is frowning. You do hate sin, but you desire to show mercy. So God, cause people who don't know you this morning to reach out and run to you, to put their hope in Christ, in Christ alone. And Father, might we be known as a church that is merciful. May we be known as people who are merciful that we might be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction, the promise of God's mercy upon us in Christ. And now may the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love and mercy of God the Father and the fellowship and mercy of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.